and welcome back to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are back with our review show. It's going to be a recording double header, though we may not release them back to back, but we'll see about that. We're going to be covering August, September of 2023 and all the best comics that came out in that time. So, your host is always Alan, owner of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, and always joined as ever by Keith. Good evening, sir. Good evening to you. How are you? We are all good. All good indeed. Yeah, busy, busy store at the moment. We're gearing up for, sorry to say the word out loud, we're building up for that oh, Christmas silly season. God damn it. Apologies for that, but uh, we're definitely entering the gift giving season, so store is nice and busy. Uh, we've got some cool events coming up. We've got a signing coming up soon, of course. Who's that is, signing with? That is with Derek Landy and PJ Holden. It's the first ever dual signing we're doing, so... Writer, artist, uh, and this is going to be for the Skullduggery Pleasant uh, graphic novel, which has just launched. You may have seen us on social media posting a um, photo with a frankly obscene amount of the graphic novels. <laughs> How many did you order? Uh, I think we're up around the 80 more. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but not only that, that's obviously the, the main crux of the signing, but you know, Derek Landy's worked on other Marvel projects. We've got graphic novels coming next week. Uh, I should say next week being the week of the 25th of October. You know, Captain America, Iron Man, trade paperbacks, Falcon Winter Soldier, trade paperbacks. Oh, those are so all, good. Those all Out so Avengers. Yeah, so, yeah. lots of good stuff. We've got PJ stuff with Lan and Eagle, with Garth Ennis. We've got Soul Plumber. So, there'll be plenty of things on the day. But, as ever, this is a completely free signing in the first uh, Saturday of November. So, if you've got the books already, bring them along. There's no... Uh, there's no no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No stipulation or anything like that. It's not like you have to come in and buy stuff off us. If you've got books, bring them with you guys. But uh, just know that we'll be well stocked on the day as well. So uh, yeah, gearing up for that. Um, had the unfortunate news we're gonna we're gonna leave Thought Bubble this year. It's been a long torturous process to get to this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going to go, but to be honest, I I've been thinking about this, and I think it's the kind of con that's good to go to every couple of years. Because the lineup is predominantly the same most years. So it'll be a good way of catching up with people after a couple of years. Plus I'm that busy organising awesome signs. I bring them all to me. <laughs> I don't need to go to them. They come to me. Uh, yeah, we've all got, uh, we've all got some uh, financial considerations, uh, hopefully on the, on, the, on the horizon. And what you mean by that, of course, is a lack of restraint when we're there. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I kind of have to think about the fact that I'm trying to uh, save up to get married next year. Um, you know, and that uh, uh, I'm told that that is uh, something. A pr- yeah. I think that's a priority. I think yeah, that's a priority. Yeah, and absolutely. you know, we're both doing adult stuff. We're saving the bar house. So, uh, yeah, all all manner of things uh, on the horizon. But it doesn't seem to have affected our pull list any because uh, <laughs> you know, talking about the month of August, I was putting my numbers together and I saw quite a small amount of DC for me anyway for a for a five week month. Mm-hmm. And I put that down to, you know, you know, if you've listened to us before, you know my, you know, my intolerance, shall we say, for night terrors as it came out. <laughs> you just didn't like it. Yeah, just from a store perspective, yeah, yeah, from a reader perspective. It just wasn't for me. It wasn't, uh-huh. it was, there was entertaining stuff through it, but it wasn't massively for me. But as I say, we may be cutting down on going to Thought Bubble, but we still both nearly hit 100 titles yep. in the month of August. What were your numbers in August? Uh, for me in August, I had, as you said, nearly 199 titles uh, in total, uh, so nearly the ton. Uh, 21 of those were DC, uh, 45 were Marvel, and 33 were indie. Well, you see, this is where when we talk about our totals here, and we then talk about our picks, when I pick something out here that you're not reading, I should have pushed it that a little more, just to hit that 100. <laughs> just to hit that mark, but I wasn't too far behind. I was 94 titles in total. Uh, 23 DC, so still a couple more than yourself, but 
wow, what a difference in Marvel. I have 26, which is still a respectable five, five six titles a week. Absolutely. It's you know, yeah, respectable absolutely. enough. I don't read X-Men stuff. You know? Yeah, you don't. You're Although one of my picks yeah. of the month is an X-Men title. Uh-huh. Uh, and 45 indie books for me, so nearly half my pull list was indie uh, this month. And, yeah, I mean, it, it was still a big month in terms of new releases. Tons of new number ones, relaunches for some of our favourite characters, um, new mini series starting, new maxi series starting, and of course all the usual good ongoing stuff as well. So yeah, I mean, there's some stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. We we really uh, limit ourselves whenever it comes to the reviews to uh, like five titles for the month. Uh, and whenever you you've got ninety nine titles and you pull this, that's a lot of quality that has been cut out. It's almost ninety five percent. You yeah, see that quick math for your oh, almost a hundred times there. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the the new Charles Soule uh, Star Wars uh, mini Dark Droids that's been crossing across mm-hmm. all of it was, was great. We had uh, Once Upon a Time at the End of the World swinging back our way again. Um, we had uh, we had some great some great stuff. Ghost Rider crossing over with Wolverine. Ghost Rider Wolverine was a cool crossover. I wish that had been longer. You know, it, I'm not usually a massive fan of crossovers because it forces you to buy titles maybe you're not already on. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a bit more starting with one of my picks later. But with Ghost Rider Wolverine, it was literally an Alpha and Omega and one issue of Ghost Rider and one issue of Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we both so. noticed something as well that we thought would have been really cool in that that didn't quite happen. Yes. And it was the end of Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil where Matt Murdock ends up in hell. Yes. And in Ghost Rider yeah. Weapons of Vengeance, they end <laughs> up in hell. Just, just a little wave across like, you know, a river of yeah, fire. Yeah, a river of fire, yeah. Perfect, yeah. I mean... Blade continues to be uh, a really, really strong series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great to see Blade with his own, his own mini at the minute. Um, Plot Holes, which you've read before. I read before. It was originally a Kickstarter from yeah. Sean Murphy for the whole graphic, yeah. but getting the sequential issue uh, treatment now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some great stuff happening in the Iron Man corner of the universe. As they, the, the Marvel Universe, as they tie him quite closely to X-Men and what's going on there. Um, you know, of the of the massive verse stuff, I think Rogue Sun has has risen to the top. For I think me. it's been strong from the start. Uh, I would agree with know, that. And uh, I mean the 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 fallout from Fall of X. We've had Alpha Flight launch and Uncanny Avengers launch, both which were very very strong titles. And uh, you read the Cull, did you? The Cull, that's Kelly Thompson. Kelly right? Thompson, yeah, the first issue that was phenomenal. Good issue. Really enjoyed yeah. that. So uh, so but but nonetheless, uh, none of those made them onto. Uh, well, they did not because it's a perfect lineup of quality, a good mix of DC, Marvel, and indie. But I suppose before that, just when you mentioned the Iron Man corner, you know, we're recording on Wednesday the eighteenth of October. But you know, for those who celebrated on uh, Tuesday the seventeenth of October, twenty twenty three, that was the day Tony Stark died in Endgame. So for those who celebrated, like myself, <laughs> I raise a glass to you. Uh, so you're yeah. uh, you're uh, how are you raising the glass? You're you're in sober October. You're, you're just... You're, I can raise a glass, I just don't drink it. <laughs> raise an empty glass. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Terrible thing. What, Sober, anyway. sober October or uh, Iron Man? Time? Both of those things. <laughs> yeah, well, the one thing with uh, having a Sober October is it's left me loads of time to read. Uh, well, I say loads of time, raising a small child gets in the way sometimes. But, but yeah, no, August was a crack of month. And what's really interesting, just looking down our list here, you know, we always want the pod to be a resource for people, maybe to recommend new titles, to get you into new things. Out of the 10 picks that we have, eight of them are number ones. So eight of them are new series, eight of them are starting points for people. And even then, the ones that aren't, I think one of them's a number six. Is that the end of an arc or the start of a new arc? 
That's one of your picks. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. It's it's not quite the start of an arc. It was just a really standout issue. That's fair. Um, so yeah, so loads of starting points here, as I say. There's a few indie books, there's a few DC books, there's a few Marvel books. So it's a really, really balanced pod this uh, this month, I would say. And uh, I may as well kick things off with you know an indie book, which Keith has not read. No. And why have you not read it? I mean, this is this you know this is Rick Remender, you know. Well, that's one reason why I should read it. It is indeed. Yeah, I mean, so the the first pick I have is a book called The Sacrificers. It's written by Rick Remender with art by Max Fumara. There was actually a free comic book day issue for this, and there's a nice little story behind it. In that, we never received our copies of it, which was really annoying. Uh, but Andy, you know, long term, you know, customer of the store, really good friend. He was kind enough to jump on to eBay and source me one mm-hmm. for, uh, for a, a nominal value. But uh, it was basically my first introduction to The Sacrificers. And I was annoyed that I didn't get it because, again, Rick Remender, you know. Mm. A new Remender series will always have my attention, you know, in terms of... You know, he obviously made his name massively at Marvel. But I think in terms of independent comics since he stepped away from Marvel, I'm not sure there's been a writer who's delivered more consistent quality in the last decade, whether it's... Deadly Class, Low, Black Science, Tokyo Ghost, Seven to Eternity. Uh, you know, he's an expert craftsman when it comes to your favourite thing, world building. Oh, yes. And therefore, he's, you know, he's able to attract the best artists. We talk about this a lot with for Tom Keane, for example. He's always able to attract the best artists. And, you know, uh, Rick Remender's the same. You know, those titles, you've art from Wes Craig, Greg Tocchini, Mado Scalera, Sean Murphy, Jerome Opina. And I think you can now add the sacrificers of Max Fumara to that distinguished list if issue one is anything to go by. So issue one, it, it opens in the evening on a farm. And against this peaceful backdrop, we, we hear a prayer thanking the great fathers and mothers for the perfect and harmonious world that is theirs in return for obedience and, of course, sacrifice. So we're introduced to what we think are going to be the main characters, but this book ebbs and flows a lot. It's a family of uh, humanoid birds which are seated around the table as the father leads the prayer. You know, this world, it's it's not ours, but it's, you know, it's not unfamiliar. But what interrupts this is a little noise at the window and it's a young, uh, it's a young man and it turns out to be one of the sons. But instead of living with the others, he's banished to the barn. And for making himself visible to the family like this, his father storms out of the house, scolds him, beats him. You know, why, why this hostility? Why is he singled out? But there's a really sort of nice touching scene where, you know, he's not completely unloved. His little sister sneaks out at night and gives him some of the food she tucked into her mm-hmm. pocket at dinner. And she thanks him for some reason. So this this sort of gives you the idea of this sacrifice that's going to happen. So the, the it's, it's kind of a dual narrative. So the scene then shifts to inside a castle where a young woman with flaming hair grudgingly studies history. Oh, sorry, what's the... the, the the reason he's on low is is it is one child it's per by family? it's by the end of the issue it'll it'll sort of okay. explain this All that right. basically families have to make sacrifice to keep the peace okay um so that's what basically the the father what you can tell at this point is he's doing that you know traditional hard man sort of thing of uh-huh. I'm not going to get close to my son because you know he doesn't basically want to face how much it's going to hurt him okay so he treats him with anger so to speak but but yeah basically we're introduced to this castle where there's a young woman with flaming hair you know studying history you know her skin is grayish on her face there's a lighter mark on the shape of a crescent moon a bell rings in the distance and she runs from the library down to a doorway and you know reminiscent of that first scene where someone is outside the house looking in this is something similar because she runs down the corridor and listens in on a conversation between her dad and his mistress 
you know, the mistress is jealous of the time he's spending with his wife. Um, but, you know, he must keep up appearances because this whole sacrifice um, gala is coming up. So the, the dad's aware of the daughter listening and, you know, she's now 18. She wants to join the gala. He insists she must wait until she's older. He want, only wants to protect her. You know, what could be so dangerous about a celebration? You know, she asks, so she storms away. Typical teenager, you know, she's determined to get what she wants. But, uh, but yeah, her dad, who's sort of the king of this realm, must start his work for the day. A lot of grinding of gears, movement of blazing plasma. It looks like his job is starting up the sun, oh. uh, which is a rather interesting job to have. Um, but yeah, no, we, we, the action then goes back to the farm. You know, Dawn comes to the farm. The mother sniffles into her pillow. You know, couldn't the son have had one meal, one last meal in the house with the family? You know, the dad goes downstairs, sits in silence. It's all very weighty themes and very, you know, heavy scenes so far. So the smaller children see something out the window and a couple of strange beings are there with several children all chained together. You know, one of them, perhaps a priest of sorts, so we're introducing the idea of religion into this as well, says it's time for the harvest. You know, the father states they have no sacrifice to give. He's trying to do one last thing, saying like how his son died, but he stared down. He ends up bringing the boy from the barn and it's a difficult parting. You know, even though he's been ostracized, none of the family wants him to go. But the only other option would be to give up a different child. You know, it's through through this remainder's exploring the age-old question here of what would you sacrifice for peace? You know, is sacrificing the few acceptable for peace for the many? How do you live with that decision? And, you know, having read further ahead to issues two and three, I can tell you there are tons of twists and turns to this idea on whether the sacrifice is actually all that it seems. Uh, the art by Max Fumara is majorly striking. It's detailed. It's rich in texture and depth. And as I said before, it's a word that's definitely not ours, but it's familiar enough that we uh, we feel straight at home with how it all works, certainly with regards to the farm. Roko's Castle certainly feels grand and otherworldly and even a little steampunk in terms of aesthetic. Um, the character designs are great. They're varied. They're interesting. That's lovely. And it achieves a lot in, in one issue. you know. And again, having read two and three, it only gets better the further you get into it. So... Yeah, highly, highly recommended. And uh, again, my thanks go back to a certain Mr. Murphy for getting me my free comic book day issue and <laughs> setting me on my way. So yeah, first pick of the month for me from August 2023 is The Sacrificers number one. Uh, and not only that, but you get to the very back of it. There's a little um, blurb by Rick Remander and he starts off, the opening line is, David Lynch is my favourite storyteller. So straight away, I knew I was in good hands. For the win. For the yep. win. For the win. So that's me. What about yourself? What was your first pick from uh, August? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing straight in with uh, with an independent. Uh, a newly independent. A newly, well. Uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, the, 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 the title is, is new to the company, I mm -hmm. suppose. Uh, and that is the first issue of Conan the Barbarian, lately of Marvel, but now of Titan Comics. Um, Conan the Barbarian. Hither came Conan, the Sumerian. Black-haired, sullen-eyed, sword in hand, a thief, a reaver, a slayer. With gigantic melancholies and gigantic mirth to tread the jeweled thrones of the earth under his sandaled feet. Uh, so, uh, if you've never read, I think, a Conan book, uh, ever read a comic, mm -hmm. ever, ever seen a movie... I think you'd be doing really well with this as a jumping on point for uh, for Conan. You read this as well, didn't you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I enjoyed the Marvel stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I get into it late. Yourself and Roddy had talked about it very highly. Jason Aaron was writing. I jumped into that. 
but what you're saying there about a jumping on point is is key here because this is this is by far our most popular Titan comics title. Mm-hmm. For issue one, we had around twenty people had signed up for it. We had people who wanted variants because there was a beautiful map variant, oh, which yeah. even Keith was seduced <laughs> this month. I it up myself. With a cover A and a variant. I like a map. You know, there were foil variants. Yeah. There were um, there was loads of stuff. But, yeah, like, the interest in this jumped up quickly. And mm. it's, it's great to see. I mean, so. part, of it could be, part of it could be that Jim Zob is the writer on it. And he was the writer on Savage Sword of Conan. Yeah. And then eventually Conan the Barbarian for Marvel. Uh, the art is by uh, Rob De La Torre, who is a Spanish artist. For a long time, was exclusive to Marvel. Uh, Miss Marvel, Thunderbolts, uh, Iron Man covers, mm-hmm. uh, Age of Apocalypse stuff, I think, as well. Uh, and uh, Jose Villarubia is on the is on the colours. Um, so I, like you, read and enjoyed the Marvel stuff. Um the Savage Avenger stuff was a wee bit goofy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where, where Conan um, and the Modern World. Yeah, 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 and and twenty ninety nine alongside Cloak and Dagger and Deathlock and Punisher, uh, Punisher, yeah, Venom, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it was enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah, it was David, Jared Dugan, yeah, wasn't it? it was. Absolutely. And then David proposed. Yeah, that David was took over. But uh, the the core Marvel stuff of Conan was brilliant. You know, yeah, it was really, really good. Jason Aaron and, and Jim Zub uh, on that. I never read the Dark Horse stuff that came before that. No, but, me neither. But I probably should. Um, but Titan uh, have done some really authentic work with licenses such as the Blade Runner license. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that they treat these things Doctor with, Who. with respect. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Who, absolutely. So we it started off with the Free Comic Book Day issue this year. And I see a theme developing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't need the Free Comic Book Day issue to sell it to me because I, I already had this on my yeah. list as soon as I heard about it uh, as a result of the Marvel stuff. Um, but uh, what the free comic book day issue did do was increase my anticipation, uh, and the first issue did not disappoint. Um, the the story itself, uh, as we mentioned, written by written by Jim Zub, uh, absolutely uh, calls back to Robert E. Howard, the original creator of Conan. Um, in a way. You know, in a way, I mean, he really, he really engages in, in sort of kind of pastiche Robert E. Howard's, uh, prose, uh, in, in the in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the there's uh, text boxes are are a big thing and always have been a big thing in Conan, especially whenever you're translating. I mean, what you're doing if you as you're if you're kind of translating, uh, the prose novels of Howard or the feeling of those prose novels, to comic books, you're gonna have. You're gonna have text boxes, and that's very much the that's very much the case here, um, and the. You know, so it's kind of Robert E. Howard by way of Roy Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, and the art very much reminds me of Barry Windsor Smith's sort of, art the sort of art you got, uh, in 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 those older Marvel Conan books, you know the seventy stuff, mm-hmm. um, but also, the kind of Prince Valiant stuff and all of those. So that's that's definitely Windsor Smith, and also. Uh, I guess John John Buscema as well. You know, it's pulpy, it's raw, it's energetic, and the book. You know, very much even the, you know, the comic craft lettering is 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 spot on. You know, Conan the Barbarian bound in black stone, part one, scourge of the dead. Even the nicknames, yeah, given the creators it's and so stuff. cool. You know, yeah, the the way they've given the nicknames to creators: Grim, Jim Zub, Ravaging, Rob De La Torre, Villainous, Jose Villarubia. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's it's cla- it's sets the tone. It nearly sets the tone. It's classic. It's almost classic, Marvel Conan. You know, 
um, which kind of did set the tone for the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book, like Conan himself, uh, is solid. Uh, you know, it's it's a chunky book. Um, there's a lot in it. It is it is absolutely jammed. The panels are just side to side to side. Each panel is just detailed. There's stuff to look at in every panel in the backgrounds and uh, and that. And it's you know I've read it a couple of times and I've enjoyed it at least as much every time mm-hmm. I, I've read it. And towards the end of the story, there are there's some more supernatural moments that are a wee bit less solid, a wee bit less grounded, but very much still in the style of Robert E. Howard himself. You know, that we bit yeah. more ephemeral, we bit more... Um, well, yeah, you always talked to me in the Conan as being swords and sorcery, so those yeah. supernatural elements yeah, always sword, sort of... Sword, sorcery sliding. and sandals, yeah. uh, for sure. Um, you know, and Jim Zub sort of portrays... I say this is a perfect jumping on point, because Zub portrays what little we need to know of Conan's backstory through action. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, through you know, action as I say, pastiching Howard's prose absolutely fantastically to create, to create a tone that's beautifully backed by Rob De La Torre. and and by no means do I mean this is a pastiche of what went before. This is this is an addition to the, uh, you know, to to the mythos, and just just reads fantastically. I'll not go into the to the ins and outs of the story, uh, but uh, there are undead warriors. There are. There are Picts. There is a a a powerful uh, female protagonist. There is Conan himself, um, and uh, just you know, not taking any crap at all from anybody, as you might expect. Um, but Conan, you know, might typify the barbarian, but never think of him as as an unthinking, like oof. Yeah, he's a strategist. He's a, he's a strategist. He's a thinker. You know his. His thinking may be more direct. He's a charmer. Uh, yeah, he's all he's all of those, you know. But he's he's a very direct individual, but by no means stupid. Um, yeah, great, great book. Um, some great, uh, some great pro stuff at the back. Um, uh, there's a, a letter page straight up. I think it, that, uh, you know, it's letters that are commenting on the free comic book day issue. Um, so yes, yeah, just. Just brilliant, and I uh, say there is there's a little uh, sort of article at the back by Jeffrey Shanks, Shanks talking about world building. You know Robert E. Howard, well, world building in the Hyborian age, so brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to issue two, which I haven't read yet because I'm so far behind in my reading. <laughs> Jeez, I've read issue two, aren't we? Uh huh. At this point, um, yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. I was chatting to someone in store about this the other day with Conan, and the thing is, you can jump into Conan at any time because. His adventures are never linear and sequential. No, they jump about. They from, just jump into, yeah. here's an adventure featuring Conan. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you know the basics, you can jump in, but it still needs to be crafted with care in that first issue. Certainly definitely was. You know, this This clearly follows, this is Conan 15 years after he's left Samaria, yeah. and he's actually sort of on his way back there. Uh, but then we have the period where Conan was a pirate, or with the period, you know, so... So Robert Robert E. Howard did exactly the same thing where mm-hmm. where he jumped about Conan's timeline, uh, you know, so from the time he was a a, a child in Samaria and uh, to the time he was king, yeah. you know, Conan the king. Um, you know, so so that's how Conan is best handled. Yeah. Um and you can jump in at any time. You know, obviously this is maybe gonna be a three or four part story. You'd wanna jump in at the start. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they did exactly the same in Savage Sword of Conan. And Conan the Barbarian for Marvel more recently, so yeah, it's a good job. And then of course they finished with 
King Conan. Yeah. Uh, which was great. You know, Just now saying his goodbye to the character yeah, with King as Conan. He, as he did with Thor. As he did with King Thor as well, mm-hmm. absolutely. A nice little side by side there, I would say. Uh, so come, cool. so your first of the month then is Conan number one, and we continue that number one threads, but we're going to jump away from the indie stuff and into the world of DC with my second pick for October, and that is Penguin number one. So usual mention, straggle up your bingo card. Title written by Tom King. Uh, art by Raphael de la Torre in this. And Tom King just cannot stay away from the world of Batman, can he? And that's uh, that's Raphael de la Torre rather than Rob Robert de la Torre. Exactly. You know, but as I say, Tom King, he can't stay away from Batman. And I am all good with that. But what's really cool about this is, you know, Tom King has developed a reputation, I think, so far. As someone who will take not lesser known characters, so to speak. But maybe less fashionable characters. And will build a series around them. He did it with... Adam Strange, he did it with Mr. Miracle, he did it with, you know, Rorschach, Rorschach he did yeah. it with um, The Vision, you know, he's, he's not afraid to take those characters that maybe don't get as much love and inject a lot of care into it, so instead of focusing on Batman with this, of course, you know, he's instead interested in one of Batman's oldest foes, Oswald Cobblepot, and strike off your bingo card as well, here's my honourable mention for it. it's not a secret that I absolutely loathe the portrayal of the Penguin in Batman Returns. <laughs> you know, he's just a nasty, fish-eating idiot. Whereas, for me, the character of the Penguin should be resourceful, feared, highly intelligent, and not afraid of getting his hands dirty. Especially if he wants to make an example of someone to make a point. And that is what Kane and artist Dil- Raphael de la Torre established quickly in this. You know, the Penguin is a man to be feared, as I said, by the end of issue one. He is ready to remind everyone of that fact. So, But what's, what's cool about this is we, at the start of the issue, we find Oswald very different to what you might think. You know, his in, in canon, his children usurped his power in Gotham, and he faked his death to get away. Can I stop you there? You can Just stop. for a moment. Uh, just to, to the start of the issue. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because it takes place one year later. Well, Tom Kane, that's another thing he loves to do. He start at the end of a story and then go back to and, the start. Uh, and we have, uh, obviously, one year later, we have... Uh, Batman and uh, the Penguin in the Bat Boat. Bat Boat? I would say Bat Boat. Bat Boat. Uh, and, uh, looks in the middle like, of the ocean, yeah, it looks like the end for them both. Both of them are, are battered, uh, bloodied, uh, and uh, strapped into the boat, and the boat looks like it's sinking, and uh, neither of them have the strength to get out. And then, sorry, we cut to one year earlier in Metropolis, no less. Absolutely. Sorry. No, it's, no not at all. Um, but yeah, no, basically Oswald had uh, faked his death to get away from Gotham. You know, we find him in Metropolis, as you say. You know, the city of hope to Gotham's corrupt cesspool. Um, you know, he has a loving wife, and by all accounts, he seems content. And none of it appears to be a front. You know, none of it appears to be faked. It all seems genuine. But can you truly ever leave the underworld life behind, especially when there are people trying to pull you back into it as well? Mm. But what's really interesting structurally about this issue is that Keane is not interested at this point in Oswald's internal dialogue. You know, he's not interested in showing us what he's thinking. Instead, he focuses on how people in this world perceive him. You know, some of them see him as a, as a loving husband, you know, a cuddly, you know, man. Some, like his tailors, still feel the gravitas of the man and live in fear of what he could do, especially when they say the wrong thing. Uh, you know, we get inside the head of a law enforcement officer who believes none of this new life is real. You know, criminals never really change. So it's it's really interesting to see all these different viewpoints of the same person. And all of them are earned perspectives as well. You know, none of them feel forced. 
You know, it's clear from this first issue that the action will shift from Metropolis and inevitably end up in Gotham with a new and improved version of the Penguin, but the journey getting there is going to be very, very interesting. You know, big big bonus in this book is definitely the art. I oh, think, yeah, I think probably, the art yeah. is firing on mm-hmm. all cylinders. You know, De La Torre is perfect at capturing all these different sides of Oswald, whether it be kind or caring or menacing and ruthless, without it ever feeling like a different a different character. You know, the backgrounds, they're rich, they're detailed. I mean, this must be the kind of book you're talking about when you talk about clean lines. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, who is the, the colorist? Marcella? Just getting to that yeah. as well. You know, the um, as I say, with the action, it moves on a great but you know, thoughtful pace. But yeah, the colors are from Marcelo Maiolo. Uh-huh. And they're just as important to the feel of the book as they capture the mood of every single scene. Uh, uh, the, the one thing that jumped out at me is, um, you know, while, while Oswald is in Metropolis, he's opened a flower shop. Yeah. And he's a florist in this. Uh, obviously Wall Street prick comes in looking for flowers to try and whatever um, but the the light through the blinds and uh, you know the, the, the hue in which the whole thing is cast I can almost I can almost smell the flower shop you yeah. know slightly you know whenever you go into a flower shop it doesn't always smell you know uh, fragrant yeah. uh, you know you can always you can you can really smell an undertone of the maybe sort of potpourri or dead dead flowers you yeah. know and that's the that's the smell I got from the colours. Uh, really, really engender something there. Well, that's the thing. With the colours, you know, sometimes they're conveying the bright and hopeful feel of Metropolis. You know, sometimes it's the barren grey tones of a, you know, a police station. Uh, the last few pages in particular are very impressive as we get treated to a, a demonstration of just how dangerous Oswald can be when he's pushed. Mm. And uh, you're starting to see the old Oswald come out, you know. Per Taylor. Turns out he was right. I mean, he was in living in fear the whole way yeah. through, you know. But uh, yeah, overall, you know, an absolutely excellent number one in a series like it will only grow in terms of pull lists in our store anyways, where yeah. it spreads. You know, we we started with only eight people on this title requesting number one. It was up to 14 by issue two. It's now up to 18 by issue three. So it's the only other title I can think of like that was The Walking Dead. Yeah, well. It starts with a certain... Big words. Big words indeed, but... Uh, um, yeah. What do you think of this Agent Nuri Espinosa? She's obviously up to no good. Obviously, the first, and also the first time that uh, anyone calls Oswald Penguin. Penguin. Uh, she comes in, she blasts the bird that he's holding... Yeah, blood all over, and he still doesn't react. You know, being in Metropolis is good for this guy. Yeah, clearly, you like, know, leave him there. Um, but it's not a danger. But she knows how valuable he is as an asset. You know, she has a scar over her eye. She is obviously on the side of the law, but she's also in with Amanda Waller a little bit. Never a good thing. Yeah, never you know. So it's thing, yeah. especially if you're coming from Gotham, because unless your name is Commissioner Gordon, you're corrupt in yeah. some way or another. I would say so. But yeah, no, she's very distrusting of Oswald in this new life, and she sees him as an asset that can help progress her career. Essentially, yeah, I don't think she's. A, I think she, I don't think she's a good. She's she. Amanda Waller has leverage over her. She's done something. Yeah, uh, she is not a good cop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you can see in that interrogation scene as well, you know, a return to Tom King's favourite nine panel structure. Well, Every artist must know that ahead of time that's what's gonna that's happen. That's gonna happen at some stage. Yeah. But yeah, you know, don't miss out on this while we're still early in the yeah. moment. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh if you check out the next pod, which will be the next month, you may even hear a, 
a discussion on issue two, which was even better. Oh, so it it was actually yeah. This is I mean this is another one that you could you could read a couple of times and, and yeah. enjoy see something uh, different. Yeah, so, absolutely. So another home run for the cult of Keen. Uh huh. Of which Keith is now fully paid. Uh, well, no, I, I pop into the meetings now and again. <laughs> you take lead in the meetings from time <laughs> to time. So why don't we keep this number one loving going? And this yeah. time we're going to move from DC and over to um, the mighty world of Marvel. Absolutely, we've got a couple of indies. We've got an image. We've got a Titan. We've had a DC, so we're uh, we're going uh, to the House of Ideas, uh, with the Immortal Thor number one by Al Ewing and Martin Cucolo. and it's brave of Mister Ewing to uh, to to resurrect his Immortal tag because it was last associated with the fantastic Immortal Hulk fifty issue run of the Immortal Hulk, uh, and that. It has certain connotations, doesn't yeah, it? You it know? does, and um, certain expectations as well. Yeah, and I have no doubt that Al Ewing is going to deliver on them. So, I mean, it, it doesn't miss a beat. You can you can read this coming out of, you know, the, the most recent Thor run, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the current Thor run, you know. So, um, Odin has passed on to Valhalla, finally, having, having spent some time residing in Thor's hammer, uh, leaves behind beside it behind his thumb, son Thor as the new ruler of the Ten Realms. Although Thor has sort of held that title uh, for quite some time, he's never had a chance to inhabit it. I don't mm-hmm. think, and you know Thor has been given the title and the powers of the All Father, and finally, he does have a chance to occupy that role while still very much being the Thor that we know, the hero, the god, the Avenger. But with the weight of wisdom and responsibility of being the all father of Asgard, and I think that is implicit uh, of the story, which in in a way I kind of felt was split into two parts with a wee with a wee sort of uh, gulf in the middle, mm-hmm. um, and sort of let me kind of let me kind of explain that if you if you don't mind. You read this too, obviously. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So the earlier part I felt was dominated by the slugfest between the Asgardians and the Frost Giants, uh, with a little foreshadowing. Um, classic Thor stuff, including the Warriors 3, Sif, Loki, re-establishing certain Thor tropes, Mjolnir, which for so long has been cracked and broken and was occupied by, uh, by Odin, now, now reformed and absent of Odin's personality. The Rainbow Bridge repaired, finally. Uh, it's been I think it's been years since the Rainbow Bridge was was together and repaired by Loki no less, and you know we're seeing relationships just being reestablished the relationship with the Warriors Three with Asgard as a whole, with uh, Sif, uh, especially with Loki they now have a more understanding relationship more amiable relationship yeah more yeah. amiable relationship yes yeah, a really good way to put it uh, and also um, but can you ever fully trust Loki yeah of course. Uh, and we have uh, Lady Sif is now the guardian of, of the Rainbow Bridge uh, you know um, so uh, obviously with the, the death of um, oh my god um, name has escaped me the god that watches and guards doesn't matter and, uh, <laughs> but anyway um, so yeah and then Heimdall Heim no no Yes, hanged up. Yes, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, it's been a long, long day and a longer week. I actually went in a mode there where I went Idris Elba. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and 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 all of that. You know, so we're also seeing the evolution. We're seeing classic Thor stuff, 
but we're also seeing the evolution of Thor over the past number of years. Yeah. Uh, as I say, the Rainbow Bridge was destroyed, now rebuilt. Uh, Sif has now replaced Heimdall. Uh, a different relationship between Loki and Thor, which will become very, very important. And then we have this little, uh, cool little down period because whenever, yeah, uh, whenever taking Luke a tour appears, of Midgard, yeah, taking a tour of Midgard, but taking a tour of the other side of Thor's life, yeah, because he's always been torn between Asgard and Midgard, and it literally starts with Rainbow Bridge repaired, and the the vignette starts with to Midgard, <laughs> you know, and Thor smiling yeah. and sailing across New York City. We see him. You know, being the, 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 the Avenger, the, the idol to millions. Yeah. Uh, you know, we see him, you know, uh, playing chess in the park and uh, and apprehending villains that there clearly stand no chance whatsoever against uh, Thor at any power level. Um, and then everything takes a very quick turn. I do want to ask you this one question of a little background detail I saw. Yeah, go ahead. There's a little poster in the middle when he's uh, hanging out with some people and it says Cyclops was right. Oh yeah, what would that be? That's uh, that is from um, uh, oh my god! Uh, whenever Cyclops uh became uh, he got the part, part of the Phoenix uh-huh. uh, and all of that sort of stuff. It was uh, it was or, or it could be referring to uh, sort of Cyclops versus Wolverine and the mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm forgetting the names of these stories, but <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I was just um, curious because it was yeah. a little background detail. I, I, didn't, caught, I yeah. didn't notice that myself actually. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, so it is. Yeah, Cyclops was Cyclops was right. Can't remember the name of the story. I'll uh, I'll. Uh, it's I'll a very classic looking Cyclops in the poster. Very animated series with yellow visor, blue uniform. It's very animated series. Yeah. To me. Okay, but it's, I can't remember. What, I can't remember the name of the story, but I know where I'm at. But then, uh, you're distracting me here Sorry. with these little segue. You know. Apologies. Um, I've got another question, but I'll get that. In. I know. Go ahead. I was just curious early on that um, obviously this is a line that is always associated with Doctor Strange to me and it's when Loki is repairing the Rainbow Bridge and there's a little bit of narration and uh, Thor says, no magic is without cost. Yeah, absolutely. I was just wondering if that was when we know the Doctor Strange. Um, it could be a we know to Doctor Strange. Obviously that was just during the Mark Wade era, the, the whole uh, of Doctor Strange recently. Yeah. Well, I suppose a few years ago now. But... Um, it, it has definitely percolated throughout the entire Marvel Universe when it comes to magic and I think that's a little foreshadowing for what comes next yeah. and, uh, and what comes next is, um, is you know we have Thor having you know we go from bright colours to, to, uh, to darkness him sitting on the, uh, on the standard on the, the, root, the, the head of the Statue of Liberty he's contemplating his father he's contemplating the, uh, the power that he, he now has as the All Father, he's he's contemplating, you know, the the message uh, on Mjolnir. You know, whosoever shall shall lift this, you know, shall be worthy of the of the power of Thor. Um, you know, and that, and then um, and then uh, I suppose you could say the hammer falls, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to quote uh, Queen, uh, but <laughs> very thoroughly related, as the Statue of Liberty is shattered uh, by uh, lightning from uh, the dark skies. And we're introduced to um, to certainly the first member of who I think is maybe going to be a pantheon of mm-hmm. uh, of nearly anti Asgardians. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're introduced to uh, Tyrannus, uh, who is the Utgard Thor, uh, who is a massive fucking giant uh, wielding this wheel and the power of lightning and 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 so forth. And uh, Thor quickly. 
Well, we see the uh, the absolute carnage that uh, Utgard's Thor's very presence crosses across New York. The 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 planes flying above, the bridges, the park, the tunnels, uh, the, uh, the 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 death and destruction that uh, that reigns, and Thor summons the power of Thor and the power of uh, the All Father, uh, the All Power against uh, against uh, Utgard Thor Tyrannus, and does nothing um uh, so it is just amazing stuff um the a little bit of research tells you that uh the the utgard is uh kind of a, a concept uh in asgardian lore and norse lore mm-hmm. and it, it kind of translates as the outyard or the i guess the areas outside of asgard and outside of and uh, it's associated with a character called Utgard Loki, mm-hmm. uh, and there, so I think that's going to play in here. And I don't know if they're, you know, equals and opposites of the Asgardian gods, yeah. but this dude is something else. Dark mirrors. Uh, yeah, absolutely dark mirrors. I don't know, but, but um, there, there's, there's some stuff going on. Um, uh, you know, with, with these elder gods, um, and. Just Thor seems completely outmatched, and we have uh, Utgard Loki appearing at the end. Who you know, so we'll we'll just we'll just see. But I am here for it. I am absolutely here for it. What about you? And glorious Alex Ross covers. Oh voice, yeah, absolutely. It? Forgot. I was I was so caught up with actually Martin uh Piccolo's fantastic, fantastic yeah. art. It Beautiful just, looking issue. Know, yeah, even that that double page spread of just a, a happy happy Thor flying over, uh, you know, just overjoyed to be back to Midgard yeah. via the Rainbow Bridge um, but yeah, as we know just, in any fiction when a character is happy when happiness is around the corner yeah, absolutely yeah so. no I loved the first issue I thought it was great um, yeah. I'm all in on this as well obviously I was a slight late comer to Immortal Hulk uh, but full faith in Al Ewan as I say I, mm-hmm. or as you said I don't think you use that immortal tagline or that immortal in the title without having something great to back it up yeah, with yeah absolutely so, 100% Hundred percent. So yeah, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. So nice. yeah, here for it. Um, great to see. Yeah, I mean Thor had a Thor had a wee bit of a tricky. Yeah, um, I mean it was a Donny Cates run at the start. Um, obviously he had personal problems later on and, and everything else. The run started off brilliantly. I thought you know mm-hmm. it was Nick Klein on art. It yeah. was yeah. Um, introducing new villains. It had some great stuff with Loki. It just lost its way a wee bit it towards did, the yeah. end. Yeah, and that's that's no slight on uh, on Torin who, who took over. Um, no, 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 but uh, it just was a wee bit, uh, yeah, just wasn't as focused as it uh, was at the start. So I think it needed this reset a little bit. Uh, but uh, but more more than that, it's it's alluding and uh, and it's that immortal tag. Yeah. And, and I say we're both we're both there for it. So. Let that man write whatever he wants uh, for more. Second issue was phenomenal as well. It was uh, because what happens whenever the All Father uses the All Power, we end up with uh, the All Sleep, <laughs> uh, the Odin Sleep. Uh, you know so. Uh, Maybe it's called the Thor sleep now. I don't know, but mm. um, but yeah, so uh, so yeah, so interesting. Oh, stuff. great stuff! So another number one there from October, and we're going to continue with another number one. But again, we're moving away from the big two and back to the indie world, and that is with a apologies to Keith, silly size book. Uh, but this is the Devil's Cut number one. There's going to be a one shot. Uh, this is from a new publisher called Distillery. Um, when we talk about writers and artists involved. This, uh, this book is put together by the likes of Brian Azzarello, Becky Cloonan, Francesco Francovia, Jock, Lee Garbett, uh, Stephanie Phillips, Ram V, Eduardo Risso, Scott Snyder, Christian Moore, Tinian IV. 
Yeah, so The Devil's Cut, it's the first offer, as I say, from Distillery. This is a new publisher that, for me, has the potential to take the comic book world by storm. And, I mean, I, I, I absolutely loved the uh, the blurb on the back of the book the reason why they call it the devil's the cut aging process is something that will that appeals to both of us you as a, a much uh, a much more established yeah uh, whiskey fan myself as a as a newer whiskey fan and I'm actually uh, I got a bottle of Japanese whiskey uh, a few weeks back at Suntory sober October case absolutely well stop telling me these um, things <laughs> so it says in the aging process the whiskey that evaporates is called the angel share we know that uh, but the most potent spirits are captured in the wood the devil's cut. You may want to sip these spirits slowly. They pack a punch. <laughs> Setting the tone for something that is completely independent of the big two or any existing publishers. You know, Distillery has attracted some of the biggest names in comics. Mm. But what they've done that's very clever is they have installed them as founders uh, of the label as well. Well, this is, I mean, this is this is the image move. 100%. You know, you know they'll uh, yeah. complete ownership, complete control over their own creations um, and complete freedom to tell the stories that we have. saw that again very recently. We did with uh, Ghost Machine, which is yeah. going to be, although it is an imprint of image, whereas this is a completely independent company. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a movement. There's definitely something. It seems that way, but what's yeah. cool about Distillery is that all these creators have this freedom, but they're not tied to an exclusive contract that they can only work with Distillery. So you'll still get Ram writing detective comics. You'll still get, you know, Tinian writing Sandman. You'll mm. st- you know, so... But, uh, yeah, as I say, that founding creator's lineup's just incredible. You know, you can see why we, as both a store and as a comic fan in general, are excited about Distillery. So but with The Devil's Cut, this is uh, an anthology of 11 different stories from these creators. You know, some of them are set up for their mainline titles that are coming soon. Some of them are one-and-done little vignettes. But they all exist as short stories showing off their level of craft and skill. And it's all wrapped up in one delightfully silly-sized square-bound comic book, you know. It's yeah. just about thick enough it could sit on your bookshelf, I think. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I mean, and it was a it was a, a chunky enough wee price. It was tenner. It was. Um, so it was. But, I mean, this this is... Uh, with this, this line-up of creators, the quality of the work that's going in here... Anthologies aren't normally my thing, as you no. well know, but this was a this was really a must buy, wasn't it? Well, this is it. I mean, you know what what I was working on was the fact that anthologies, you know, as a store as well, you know, they can sometimes be a tough sell. You know, they're usually higher priced, as is the case here, and they can be a bit scattershot in terms of storytelling quality. You know, there's there's usually fantastic stories in anthologies, but they can often be balanced out by completely forgettable ones. You know, so. But I have to say that's that's not really the case with Devil's Cut. You know, each and every story had me engaged and curious as to where they'll go to next. And I mean, it's perhaps no surprise that my favorite one was the Scott Snyder scripted and drawn by Francesco Francavia uh, one. Uh, a quick shout out as well, actually, for the recent Night of the Ghoul, which is collected in trade paperback by Dark Horse, as an example of just how great this uh, this team is when approaching horror. Uh, you know, they weave a great tale on an ever-evolving boat that shows no sign of escape mm. called White Boat. You know, we also have Stowaway, written and drawn by store favourite Jock. You know, and it's it's a prequel of sorts to to the upcoming first yeah. full release from I mean, the store. That's kind of the, that's kind of a question. Uh, how many of these are going to be uh, trailers for... Uh, for what's to come? Yeah, for what's to come. Well, that's it. I mean, they seem to be following a model at the moment of, of announcing one new title per month. Mm-hmm. So, as I say, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 18th of October. Gone, which is Jock's first one, this is scheduled to drop on October 25th. 
So uh-huh. that's next week. Okay. They have announced one called Blasphemous, which is from Mirko Dolfo, which is a consider a continuation of her story in here, a blessed day. Blessed day. That's that's that was one of my favorites. That sort of vampire-y Yeah. Uh, one was kind of kind of cool. I enjoyed uh, Elsa Shardier's and Pete Gabe Collinett's um, spy story. Yeah. That uh, was very sort of very cool. Um, and then the other one they've announced already is Somna, which is starting in November, and that comes from uh the Tula Lote Becky Clunan story. What bright blighted flame burns in thee, which is the last story in the book. So, as you say, some oh. of them are trailers for their styles. Some of them are just one shot, you know, quick stories. But that uh, is interesting that 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 last story has been announced. That's that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I wasn't sure where that might go, but it does, of course, say the beginning at the end of it. Um, I really enjoyed Mark Bernardin's story. That was the one that really really got Shepherd. me. Shepherd, yeah, about the the sort of AI that. Uh, that this uh, guy has created from his dying wife in order to uh, guide uh, or protect a uh, a colony ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that was really nice and and looked gorgeous. Um, Ariella Cristantina. Yeah, I mean another standout I thought was waiting to die, which is you know from the team of Ram V and Lee Garbay. You know with the the idea in this one is you know the end of the world is simply a matter of time though no one knows exactly how long, but only that it's inescapable and could be at any moment. You know, what would you do in your final moments? Who would you want to be with? What would they be spent doing? You know, it's very, very thought-provoking, quite emotional and brilliantly executed as well. You know, it's... The Devil's Cut, you know, it's the kind of storytelling I can't wait to enjoy more of. You know, they're fully creator-driven by some of our favourite ever writers and artists and they they have that freedom to do whatever they want. Mm. What's cool as well is, you know, there's different genres the whole way through here and the, I think there's really something for everyone as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if going forward with Distillery that all the books are going to be this size. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that Gone is going to be because Jock is a big fan of this large, mm-hmm. larger format. Of course, he did Batman 1 Dark Knight. Um, but for me, you know, the larger format for the book, it means the art can be as experimental and rich as they want because... They have a bigger canvas and full control with it as well. Yeah. I kind of liked. Uh, I kind of like that. Well, I really like that Brian Azzarello and Edward Russo story, the deleted scene, mm-hmm. because it's called deleted scene two. So, if you take it from that, you know it's a deleted scene from a DVD, whatever you you're yeah. being shown. There's no context. Mm-hmm. There's no context for it. It just starts, and you've got a dead dog, and da da da. You know, and you're like, what the hell is going on here? It's yeah. a western, which of course had me already. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. It was definitely a definitely a, a must pick up because of the creators involved. Yeah. at least two of which we've spoken to. One hundred percent. Ram and Kristen. Um. So yeah, I uh, yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it. I. I always bulk at. You know, books that are pricey, but then whenever it, it's you know that quality and I suppose that size. Yeah. Kind of. You know, well, that's it. It's an idiot pager. You know, it's zero adverts the whole way through. Yeah. It, it and what is. about uh, what about Jock's book? Gone is it also? Jock the the I know it's going to be this size. I think it's going to be forty eight pages. Okay. Uh, so I don't think it's as expensive as this one is. This was a full idiot pager, as I say, but um, we did order pretty big on this. We've got a couple of copies left in store because. I ordered big on it as I think this is genuinely the start of something special and you know they've already said it will be a single print run there's not going to be a second print it's not going to be collected in any other format again you know so don't miss out I, I really think 2024 has the potential to be the year of distillery and mm. you know with, yep. with with those guys behind it the yeah. sky's the limit so yeah more part to them more part to them um, but here we are we're about to ruin this run of number ones 
Yeah, absolutely. With a number six. With a number six. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Doctor Strange number six. Uh, you're not on Doctor Strange. No. Nope. I can't understand that. Um, <laughs> I can't understand that because it's Jed McKay uh, and follow creators. Um, Jed McKay is possibly the strongest writer at Marvel at the moment. Um, he is. He's an absolute master of his craft, uh, as you can tell whenever you read Moon Knight. Um, and he's, Which I am. Yes, you are on. So again, that sort of confuses <laughs> me a wee bit. Um, so Jed McKay has been on Doctor Strange since the death of Doctor Strange. We picked up that miniseries and then from the death of Doctor Strange he went on to Strange. Strange with Cleo. Uh, yeah, with, with, with Cleo. And then uh, more recently then has been uh, the Doctor Strange series since the return of, of Doctor Strange. So it's been a continuous run mm-hmm. from the death of Doctor Strange and the death of Doctor Strange itself echoes very strongly into this current storyline. And this is, if I may say, how you use a fill-in artist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Pasquale Ferry is the regular Seems artist regular. Uh, on Doctor Strange and doing so well at it, but this is a flashback issue. And so, you know, normally that change in artist would be a real pain in the butt, but whenever you're telling a slightly different... It's yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. It's the, the, the fill-in artist is implicated in the, the, the actual structure of the story. So, so yeah, Doctor Strange uh, 6 is kind of... It's, it's a flashback issue. It's a little bit separate, but it's very much part of the, the current arc. Uh, and so I guess it would help if I explained a little bit about that. So uh, it says previously, I'll, I'll just, I'll read you the, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the preamble. So for millions of years, Earth's Sorcerer Supreme has been the crux of Earth's mystic defences. We know that because Jason Aaron tells us in Avengers 1 million years BC that, uh, you know, that's the case. Three immortal practitioners known as the Vashanti have bestowed the title and access to great wellsprings of power to those who they deem worthy. The Vashanti have been a part of Doctor Strange's lore for forever. Uh, the mantle of the latest Doctor Strange has fallen to Stephen Strange, a once arrogant surgeon who sought out the mystic arts to heal his damaged hands. Classic, we know it. Um, becoming a heroic defender of Earth, uh, Doctor Strange has ever been the champion of the Vashanti, committed to preserving life within their, with their support. But once, not so long ago, the Vashanti summoned Doctor Strange with a dangerous request. So uh, that is sort of where we're, where we're at uh, with Doctor Strange. And what, uh, what happened was... Um, I guess once upon a time, Doctor Strange uh, fought what was the, the toughest battle of his life uh, and now the consequences of that battle are coming back uh, sort of with, with, with real a vengeance. And this is, this is a really uh, rough, tough... Um, it's a, it's a, a wartime issue um, and it's really it's it's a flashback issue to say and it's really emotional and it lays the, the groundwork for what's to come so um, effectively what happens is the the Vishanti Vistani are at war with uh, another group of immortal practitioners called the, the Trinity of Ages and Stephen Strange is the Sorcerer Supreme so they need him they need him to fight this battle for them so mm-hmm. in order to do so they agree you know, Stephen says, but I can't, I'm the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth, I can't leave the Earth dimension undefended. Mm-hmm. So the Vistani agree to stop Stephen's edging and to put him back where they find him in time whenever he has done this duty for them. That's the that's the deal. He, they deliver him back to the exact time he left. What they didn't expect was for the war to last 5,000 years. <laughs> and and that, those 5,000 years uh, leave... You know, we start off. Uh, we start off with in this flashback issue because we've already met the product of the five thousand years, 
uh, we start off in year zero where they were uh, where the uh, the the Shanti, um, proposition Stephen service and they make that deal and uh, and uh, and then we start in year one of the war of the seven spheres and uh, you know Stephen's put in charge of uh, of thousands tens of thousands numerous amounts of soldiers he has he has um, Praetorian Orgoth who's this sort of demon or sort of Mm-hmm. Uh, as his right hand, his his lieutenant, and you know, he's, Stephen's really clear. You know, he calls he keeps calling him general, and he's like, doctor, I'm Doctor Strange. You know, I'm, you know, and this and that and the other, and that's where we that's the starting point. And of course, uh, so we 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 move through year twelve as Stephen has to draw more and more of his power and do war is hell. You know, as and, we know, and and. Uh, He's called on to do unspeakable things, to do things for the cause, to, you know, where the, where the, uh, I guess the, the needs, you know, overrule the morals, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, we're, we're 15 years in, then we're, we're a hundred years in and, uh, and Stephen, you know, he's lost an eye at this stage and, you know, he's, he's accessing dark magic and then we're 2000 years in and 3000 years in and, uh, he more and more it becomes about the war and only about the war. Mm-hmm. He's no longer doctor. He's now answers to general. General, uh, you know, and uh, and the things that he has to do, the the uh, the the Praetorian Orgoth, you know, three thousand years is more than enough. He he sees what Stephen's turning into. He can't follow him anymore. Stephen executes him, you know, without thinking. You know, it's just because it's all about the war. It's mm-hmm. it's the only cause. You know, and uh, and then we, you know, five thousand years later, the uh, the, the Shanti and the the Trinity of Ashes reach a ceasefire, and that's not good enough for General Strange. He's fought this war. For you can understand he's been at this for five thousand years. <laughs> like, you know, it's not good enough for him. It's, yeah. He can't. He can't brook it. He feels betrayed. He feels you know let you know he he he. This is his only cause. It's it's all he's ever known. Five thousand years, like, um. But worse than that, uh, the um, the Vishanti realise that uh, that the warhound of the Vishanti has no place. General Strange has no place in a world of peace. Mm-hmm. You know he can't just be he can't just be sent back to where he was from. Uh, he's no longer the same man. So they've kind of done a deal with the Trinity of Ashes, and and the 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 ceasefire is contingent on the fact that the. Uh, the war, the warhound, the the general will be excluded from reality. Will be gone. Mm-hmm. You know he can't. He can no longer exist. You know. So, what the Vishtani do is they separate the doctor from the general. They take the memories, the experiences of five thousand years, the magics of five thousand years, and they imprison it in in a crystal. Mm-hmm. They they remove it from Stephen Strange the, that experience, and they put it all in a crystal, and uh, we're back now. Uh, at Stephen Strange's first day home and he's sort of saying so I fought for you for five millennia but have no memory of it and they were like yes there were complexities and so they take this crystal in which the five thousand years of magic memories are, are imprisoned and they link it to Stephen's life force the only way that you know they could engineer this binding was to link it to his life force so so there we are but then you know Death of Doctor Strange, Stephen's life force is extinguished. Mm-hmm. So what has happened? <laughs> the warhound, uh, the warhound comes out, and uh, and that. So so we've already seen, 
you know, you know, we we've already seen General Strange in the last issue of Doctor Strange, and now we're we're getting an origin of where he came from and how mm-hmm. he is how he is Stephen Strange and, you know, so in effect they've betrayed the man that Strange has become. They separate, General Strange from Doctor Strange. They seal him away, and that is you know it's so cool because I mean Jed McKay is just the man when it comes to continuity, but not getting locked and trapped in continuity. Yeah. But using it in a way to tell a new story, you know, so you know, the fact that this is linked into the death of Doctor Strange that he, he wrote, you know, a wee while ago and uh, and that is just it's so cool. You know, he's there's a craft to taking these bits of canon mm-hmm. as he's done with Clea and, you know, and all of this sort of stuff. And rather than them being like holding down your storytelling or trapping you, you know, it's uh, or and rather than it just being sort of nostalgia baiting. Yeah. You know, it's he's actually forming a, a great story from him. So people people like McCain writers like him that can take those moments of the past and just bring them to life and give them fresh make a fresh story from them. That is the best kind of continuity. Skill. Yeah. yeah, the best kind of storytelling in comics. You know, to let them grow organically and develop these characters that have been around for, you know, decades and you know, it's it's just you know it's just that you know taking these moments that maybe had very little and making them something, something far far greater. It's just it's so good. That is why you should be reading Jeff McKay's <laughs> Doctor Strange. Here endeth the lesson. Yeah, so so good. So looking forward to where the story goes, you know. And uh, I've already read the the issue after, and it's just, it's just brilliant. Everything lines up. Everything makes sense. Uh, and it's just a class class story really dark story you know mm-hmm. and, and again that's that's a great way to use a flashback artist you know to you know and the, the image of general strange now um don't know if you ever watched did you ever watch the what if animated series no i watched the first episode and that was as far as it went. yeah so there was a doctor strange episode where uh and it kind of linked him to multiverse of madness you know mm-hmm. when it was this evil doctor strange you know doctor strange made a choice of this and yeah and uh you know so the image of that doctor strange was cool and the image of this general strange is cool you know part Dormammu with a flaming head and a third eye and it's, it's, it's cool so yeah really really cool stuff Jed McKay brilliant have to thank Stephen again for uh, for beating the drum for Jed McKay uh, <laughs> long enough or hard enough that I uh, that I heard him yeah because it was a black cat that he was on that, uh, that's exactly right yeah I got Stephen into okay. well enough of my rant what is next from your good self well we're staying in the world of Marvel but we're back to number ones again right and uh, we're in the world of the X-Men and a title that you're not on what now and you're reading a title that oh, I know look at this it even has Fall of X on the front it does yeah yeah mm-hmm. you know so uh, but before we get into that I just have to say Fallen Friend didn't last very long ago. I don't think it was ever designed to <laughs> I don't think it was ever designed to I know that I know that uh, you know death is a revolving door in comic books uh, and I thought that, that was a quick revolving door it was that door never stopped no it didn't stop revol- <laughs> it was just she was on one side night the other side for sure but um, but I think it was always designed like that and uh, it was designed because there was a certain plot in mind for yeah. it that linked to Fall of X and no I mean it, it may have been a short lived death for Kamala Khan and her rebirth may also have been spoiled on an Iron Man cover, no less as well, because oh. sitting on the shoulder before the announcer coming oh, back. Okay. Um, but where it's led us to more than makes up for it, I think. You know, I've I've personally been a fan of Kamala's adventures ever since her debut way back in two thousand fourteen. You know, G. Will Wilson's run. It's it's so much fun. I've got Vicky reading it at the moment. It's split across four hardcovers. Oh. Uh, really, really fantastic. It always showcased the fun side of being a a teenage superhero, but also the pitfalls of having. 
you know, large overbearing family and also trying to negotiate life as a teenager, but also while keeping your alter ego secret. And, you know, she may only have been around since 2014, but, you know... Sorry, can I... Can I what's the book? Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel. Oh, sorry, I'll get to it. All right. Stop interrupting me. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so we're talking Kamala Khan. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, ever since the early days, Kamala has had quite the adventure. You know, she discovered she was an inhuman and became a superhero. She joined the Avengers, then broke off from Earth's Mightiest Heroes to form her own team with the champions. Uh-huh. She died, protected Mary Jane Watson, and then came back to life and learned she was a mutant. So quite fittingly, Miss Marvel, the new mutant number one. Perfect. Look at that. Opts to explore that new status quo. You know, even though Kamala should have found a new family with the X-Men, she's kind of dealing with a new set of problems. You know, you'll probably know more about this stuff than me, but there's the anti-mutant organization, Orcus, uh-huh. which is sending mutant heroes into exile. You know, and so the way this book's set up is Kamala's going undercover at an Orcus-sponsored college, uh-huh. uh, and she's juggling her newfound duties with the pressure of her new mutant identity. But she's also having bad dreams as well, which is really not helping. So, But the thing that gets this off to a great start is the creative team. You know, it, it could have been a bit of stunt casting, so to speak. But I know Iman Valeni, who, you know, of course, portrays Kamala in the excellent Disney Plus show. <laughs> Fantastic show. For me, still the best Disney Plus show. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, she's making her comics debut here, writing the character that she portrays so well. And, you know, she's the only reason I'm interested in the upcoming Marvels movie, because I don't have a lot of interest in Captain Marvel. Uh, but yeah, no, as I say, I, I think it's been the best show on Disney Plus and, you know, she has a love of the character, but also a depth of knowledge. You know, she even schools Kevin Feige. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with her. And, uh, always great fun. Uh-huh. You know, so she's a good candidate to write this, but what they've done is they've uh, got her as a co-writer with uh, Sabir Persada, who wrote for the TV show as well. So they make a great team. You know, they fully embrace the teen superheroics, but they also play into that dread that's running through the fall of X titles at mm-hmm. the moment. You know, it's also a title that has two artists, which could be a problem, but it's actually done in a really good way because you've got Carlos Gomez, who's handling the present day scenes as Kamala wrestles with her day-to-day life. And then you have another artist, Adam uh, Gorham, who takes the dream sequences, allowing the art to get as trippy as required. You know, it's it's the perfect way to balance two artists in the same book and the styles, you know, complement each other. As, as we know, I'm not a massive reader of the X-Books, but again, I've always been a fan of the character of, of Kamala Khan. So, yeah, off to a great start. You know, really recommend it. A lot of fun. And, yeah, just really well written. And look at all those clean lines, Keith. Look, look, those are clean lines. look at those clean lines. Absolutely. So, yeah, highly recommend it. You should be reading the one X-Books that you're not reading. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does look good. I mean, there's a lot. There is a lot going on with Kamala Khan, and to some extent, I would uh, hick that back at you and suggest that you should be reading some of the X-Books you're not reading, <laughs> uh, which includes... That list would be longer. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, you read The Hellfire Gala, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I mean, obviously, I think there's a, there's a sort of studio reason for this as well, isn't there? That, mm-hmm. you know, the whole Kamala mutant, Kamala and human, because... Yeah. Uh, obviously, Inhumans were a big thing whenever, um, you know... Fox still had the Fox rights to X-Men, and, yeah. Fox and Marvel were falling Disney out. were trying to push yeah, uh, yeah, um And, that, and they, did a, they did a good job, and, you know, Inhumans were big in comics for a while, and now they disappeared because they don't need them anymore because mutants are front and centre again. Um, you know, so effectively... They turn up for cheap jokes in uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah, so obviously the they're, they're trying to, they're to standardise her as a, as, a, as a mutant, and it's interesting because we don't know what her mutant powers are yet, because mm-hmm. we know what her human powers are, what they are, her embiggening, um, but we don't know what her mutant powers are yet, uh, which is interesting. Um, 
but also yeah I mean she's a, she is a member of the X-Men now as well she's uh, but uh, that's something, something else to talk about with my next choice speaking of yeah, we're staying in the mighty world of Marvel yeah absolutely so so yeah this is uh, a very very chunky uh, issue of X-Men uh, by Jerry Duggan and uh, and uh, artist is Stefano Sally yeah so I mean a very 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 big 25th issue 25th issues are for some reason always big issues <laughs> but uh, Jerry more of a love anniversary they do it everybody does it 25th <laughs> issue you know um, but yeah this is a chunky one and it's it, it's a reorienting issue after the status quo changing events of the 2023 Hellfire Gala which we just uh, we just talked about and as I say beautifully delivered by uh, by that self same team um, the Hellfire Gala was uh, was quite a thing uh, it was I'm sure you'll agree um, it's normally or has become over the past three or four years a time to share mutant culture and innovation since the beginning of the the Krakoan age uh, you know in the first Hellfire Gala the, uh, we had the resurrection and we had the sharing of the the Krakoan drugs you know and all that sort of stuff um, there's a new X-Men team announced uh but with this particular one, we have the attack of Orcus. Orcus are a conglomeration of anti-mutant uh, groups, Friends of Humanity, and uh, mem- parts of EAM and parts of Hydra and parts of the old S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, all of that, you know, um, and led by uh, people like Dr. Stasis, who is a version of Mr. Sinister, and a variety of other individuals. Um, but uh, Orcus attacked the Hellfire Gala, led by Dr. Stasis, they laced the Krakoan medicines uh, that the, the Krakoans were given to humans with this kill switch and allowed them to, you know, made it look like the mutants had poisoned the uh, the the drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, people like, uh, Jesus, Mary Jane's aunt, aunt, is, aunt Anna is dope, dosed, you know, was absolutely on death's, on death's door. Many humans were killed. The Nimrod attack killed Iceman, killed Jean Grey, uh, splattered the new X-Men all over the show um, and they forced Charles Xavier to send all the mutants off world now he thought he was sending the majority of them to Mars but a lot of them just have disappeared through the Krakoan gates uh, and nobody knows where they are so potentially a lot of mutants to their deaths um, however some mutants the, some of the, the core mutants were able to resist you know some of the original X-Men or, or, or the early X-Men were able to resist Charles' mind control and and have set up a resistance against Orcus and Jean before she died even created a false identity for Firestar as a member of Orcus you know she manipulated minds so Firestar always looks like she's been a double agent you know um, but the, the the key character in this uh, in this X-Men 25 uh, issue this reorienting issue this resetting the, the status quo is Kitty Pride and Jerry Duggan is clearly a Kitty Pride fan. He highlighted her in the Marauder series, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, during the um during the, the initial start of the Krakoan era. And uh, part of that she was she was um Captain Captain Kate of the, the Marauder and led that particular team. But the the reason that she had to captain the ship, the Marauder, was because she could not while while Kitty's main power is phasing through things that same power made her unable to use the Krakoan gates. Mm-hmm. So she was the only mutant that couldn't use the gates. So she would sail in a ship everywhere and, and that. And ironically, the focus is now the inverse because the 
uh, Orcus have altered the gates and closed them off so mutants can't use them anymore. The only mutant who can use them now, Kitty Pride. And I don't know how much you know about Kitty, but she has had um, a lot of identities over the years. She started as Ariel and Sprite whenever she was the young 16-year-old, you know, the young kid of the X-Men. And then she was she was she was Wolverine's sidekick. He took her under his wing, and uh, she was uh, recruited by Ogun, who was um uh, like a samurai ghost who trained her to be an assassin, and she became Shadowcat. Uh, and then you know more recently, then she's been you know Kate or Kitty, Kitty, and then Kate, you know, mm-hmm. and that. So, um, and this is, she's definitely swinging back in the direction of Shadowcat. And the trained assassin that she was, because this issue is brutal. <laughs> as as much as a, you know, a, a T plus rated issue can be, as mm-hmm. much as a Marvel issue is ever going to be. <clears throat> so in X Men Twenty Five, we see glimpses of what happened to the remaining mutants through the eyes of, of Kate. She has resumed the role of Shadowcat, and she's using her training under the Ninja Ogun for reconnaissance and assassination. And during this time. We learn that Forge is, is sort of in trouble off-world. We learn about what's going to happen with the Children of the Vault, which is the new series that's just launched. Um, we learn, uh, you know, the fallout from uh, from the mutant the mutant massacre, what's now been called the mutant massacre, the Hellfire Gala turning deadly. Um, uh, we see uh, w- what's happened sort of across the world. Um, we have Fei Long, who is the, the main villain of the, the Jerry Duggan's Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's he, he he's doing sort of in the White House politically uh, mutants it seems like mutants have tried to eliminate the human race through the spike of the medicines uh, we have Captain Krakoa who's not actually Captain Krakoa uh, previously Captain Krakoa was Cyclops mm-hmm. but we know that's not the case now uh, so we have a Uncanny Avengers that is also a Jerry Duggan book isn't it? I think so yeah, yeah absolutely it was fun. the first issue it was phenomenal but I'm really interested in who's under this Captain Krakoa armour I have a notion I have a notion. Put it out there. That, do you remember the evil Hydra Cap from, uh, from Nick Spencer's run? Uh, Steve Rogers Cap, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, heel Hydra. I have a notion it's him. I think. I'm not sure, but I think. Um, but yeah, all it's of out this, there. It's on the record. Yeah, so we'll you know, come back to that one. I have a feeling, you know, and then of course, brutally, we see Scott imprisoned by Doctor Stasis with his eyes sewn shut. Oof. Cyclops with his with his eyes sewn shut. It's horrible. Um, and we see what's left of the X Men. Sink, uh, Everett Ross, uh, not Everett Ross, Everett, um, can't remember his surname, but Sink, uh, who is originally a member of Generation X back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, has been a member of the X-Men. He's now the most senior X-Man. He's taken up the role of, of Charles. Um, we have Rogue. Uh, we have uh, Shadowcat. Um, we have, um, if you haven't been keeping up, there's uh, Rasputin 4, uh, who's uh, from the Sins of Sinister crossover she's uh, a hybrid mutant who's come back for the future um, and uh, and also we have Miss Marvel uh, you know Kamala Khan um, so yeah it's it's just uh, we're, we're really catching up with everybody finding out uh, what's going on but um, but you know so we learn to say Forge is in trouble off world the X-Men are collaborating with the Avengers Emma Frost has altered Kamala Khan's family's memories about her death which I think is uh, implicit in the book that you just were, were reviewing yeah. um, mutants are being sent to Mars Orcus has imprisoned Cyclops additionally we're learning about the, the propaganda that Dr. Stasis and Fei Long are using uh, you know holding influence over America over media 
you know, and Shadowcat Kitty hasn't taken the situation well at all. She was, as we mentioned previously, unable to use the Krakoan gate system, and she's now the only one who can, makes her absolutely valuable. She is a queen piece, you know, mm-hmm. previously the Red Queen actually was one of her abilities. Um, you know, and whenever she initially, we see at the end of Hellfire Gala, she was so used to not being able to use gates, she was leaning against the gate, you know, to put on her shoes or something, and then poof, she fell through it, and we see what happened whenever she fell through it, and she fell through the gate, and she ended up in an Orcus facility, and she massacred those, those Orcus members to keep, to keep the secret that, you know, she she was alive, and she could phase through the grate, even those that surrendered, she butchered, and the, the scene is, the scene is fabulous, um, it's towards the it's towards the end of the book, uh, she falls through the she falls backwards through the gate, and just all of these Orcus soldiers, um, you know they're, she she effectively she finds herself and then she gives them a last chance to surrender and they laugh at her, and that is their last mistake as she, you know she faces her fist through a guy's throat she faces uh, she faces a guy's gun into his head, um, you know which is just brutal sort of stuff she uh one of the uh one of the orcus guys is they're all wearing suits you know and she faces one of them through his halfway through his suit so his his armor is halfway through his head it's just absolutely brutal stuff from kitty you know and a very brutal panel of her kicking someone in the nuts yeah absolutely so this is kind of the this is you know this is her shedding her previous identity and, and becoming you know, becoming shadow cat, becoming hooded, becoming mm-hmm. you know the 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 assassin that that Ogun trained. You know, so, um, you know that, that totally her 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 transition from a political leader because she was on the the Quiet Council, uh, and the Red Queen to the killer to the assassin shadow cat, and uh, then and she's now on a mission to go after Firestar because of course, as far as she's concerned, Firestar is double always double agent. agent you know, so. You know, it's just this this rebirth of Shadowcat, you know, is, is the focus of X-Men 25, and it is dark, it is twisted, it is gruesome. Um, feels kind of like a jumping on point for the fall of X, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I don't think, I think if you were to read this, I think you would enjoy it. I think you would, uh, I mean, you're, you're clearly a Jerry Duggan fan with the fact that he's got, you can pick it up Invincible Iron Man. <laughs> uh, you know, Man can achieve anything. Yeah, absolutely, so... Uh, so I, I mean I'm very happy to, to loan you this uh, and I think you'll enjoy it you know the art is spectacular it feels a wee bit like Jerry Duggan gave the art team free reign and depicting this fantastic use of Kitty's powers brutal stuff delivered beautifully that just you know when you see beautiful violence you yeah. know as per uh, balletic violence yeah obviously. absolutely it's, it's, it's delivered cleanly it's delivered with absolute panache and as I say it's just it's a reorienting issue it tells you where we're at as the fall of X begins um, it's it's just very very good stuff, um. So yes, I believe I will maybe send you home with this, um. <laughs> but yeah, well well worth it. X Men X Men twenty five, a big big issue and and a jumping on point for for the fall of X, and, and linked very nicely to your, and uh, I'll report back next yeah. time we record. <laughs> so yeah, cool. That's X Men twenty five. Uh, Keith's fourth pick from the month of August. <laughs> yes that's the one and we're going to finish off with my last pick which is uh, the start of a crossover event I'd said earlier in the episode I'm sometimes not a fan of crossovers but with this one I have no problem A because it involves Batman B because it involves Catwoman and C because I'm on both titles anyway mm-hmm. you know I've always said Catwoman is one of DC's most underrated titles you know 
not enough people are on it. You know, when this book was first announced, this is a nightmare for a store like ours because we have 52 people on Batman. We have seven people on Catwoman. So do those 52 people all want the Catwoman issues, the crossover? You know, you, you know yourself, you came to this late as an example. Yeah, yeah, I did. I didn't realise that this particular issue was... Uh, yeah, it was a difficult one. This is the first... The first this uh, is, this the, is essentially the alpha your, issue. Yeah, this is your alpha issue. Yeah. This is your primer issue. Which uh, So, of course, at the moment, Batman is written by Chip Zdarsky. Catwoman is written by Tini Howard. They both collaborate on this. And they have the artist from the last Batman um, story arc, Mike Hawthorne, uh, doing the art on this. And... I have to say what's really interesting is that a lot of people are very divisive on the crux of the idea of this crossover. I really like it. So the idea basically is Batman and Catwoman are on opposite sides. They, they both want peace for Gotham, but how do you achieve that? You know, Bruce has been trying for years, you know, dishing out his uh, type of vigilante justice, been recruiting members to the Bat family to, you know, increase numbers. He works with the police, with Commissioner Gordon and so forth. But Gotham doesn't seem any better than when he pretty much first started. If anything, it's attracted more crazies. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd go a wee bit further as well um, as to say, I mean, one of the things that I really loved about this is, and it doesn't often happen, doesn't always happen in crossovers, uh, is that, you know, it pulls on a lot of the threads that have gone before in Batman and Zodarsky's yeah. Batman. Uh, very and, much and weaves them into what is a fairly emotionally charged story so we've got the the Batman of Zorana like making more and more of an appearance very, he's basically coming yeah. I mean that's the thing Bruce is a very changed man through Sadarsky's run between you know everything that happened with Failsafe between ending up in that alternate Gotham in the Batman of Gotham losing his hand yep. he feels more distanced than ever he's I think older. He's, he feels older. He feels older. I think he's also really, really missing the guiding hand of Alfred more and more. Yeah, I think um, that's where we're going. You know, that's exactly where we're going. And you know, and I think that the, those feelings were dredged up because there was an Alfred in that alternate Gotham for yeah. him to, you know, to sort of rely on. And Alfred's always been his sort of guiding light. You know, he can put him back on the straight and narrow. Yeah. But what's interesting about this? So, so Catwoman comes up with this idea. So Catwoman is basically a master thief. Uh, she comes up with this idea to train criminals to steal from the rich. And the idea is that if you train them properly, you're taking them off the streets, you're taking them away from doing violent crimes, you're taking them away from that desperation of needing money to feed their families, yeah, yeah. for you know robbing people in an alleyway. You know, I think she even says at one point, if I had been around when your parents were gunned down, Bruce, that might not have happened. Yeah. So the idea is that it's still crime, but it's it's almost going back to what we were talking about with the sacrificers. You know, it's it's sacrificing that sort of moral compass a little bit to still allow crime. Uh, so we know Robin Hood is. Yeah, but know. not but not in the same way. You know, they only target people who are rich enough that yeah. they won't miss it. You know, they'll you know, the, the the whole thing of Gotham is Gotham is a a city of haves and have nots. The haves have too much. The have nots don't have enough. And Selena comes up with this idea to train them properly. They only will um, rob from these people when no one's home. You know, they will spend time casing jobs. They will make sure that um, it's all completely victimless mm -hmm. in terms of, like, physical violence or anything like that. And, of course, with Bruce, he's like, look, this is still crime. Like, how can you actually endorse this? But what you find throughout is that, A, the other members of the Bat family are slowly coming around to Selena's way of thinking. 
Because the other thing Batman is is a man of facts. And the facts are, the statistics are, violent crime's down. Mm-hmm. People feel safer in the streets. But, you know, so he even starts thinking towards the end of the issue, you know, is she right? But then, of course, tragedy strikes. Uh, they end up pulling a job. Some of the people at Selena's trained. Someone's home that shouldn't be home. And that person is killed. So it becomes a violent crime. So instantly, it's almost like Bruce thinks that, you know, my way is clearly the way to go well, with this. I mean, Bruce is a man of, of blacks and whites. Yes, and no shades of grey. Very, very few greys. And uh, he is at his limit here. He's he's pushed. He's been pushed by these experiences of, of late, including yeah. night terrors, I guess, as well, you know, yeah. uh, to to really... I mean, I, I don't... I, by the end of this, I was like, oh my God, I'm a Catwoman side here. Bruce isn't the hero. Yeah. You know, I was, she, she is... Well, until is, the last few pages. Well, even then, I, I, even then I, I still was thinking he's been quite unreasonable. But, but I don't think that's the case because once you get to the narration with Batman's internal monologue towards yeah. the end of the issue, with three pages to go, he is saying, was Selena right? Am I so dogmatic that I can't see her plan as a good thing? If people are safer, wait, isn't that... Siren's two blocks away. It's not all quiet. And then the last page is literally him finding that body. And he says, his name is Roland Garner. Worked for Freeze Riddler. Spent some time in Blackgate. A single father making bad choices. Everyone's making bad choices. And now this man, this father is dead. Leaving an orphan. Which, of course, is Bruce's trigger word. Of course, yeah. Uh, other than Martha. Um, you know, I'll fight you all if I have to. The mission but has been see, tainted. So this is, so but this what's is, interesting is yeah, where yeah. he says, we stop crime because we're Batman. So he still is listening to the internal monologue from the Batman. Of oh Zero yeah, Man. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, to me, the point at which you know he he is he's spiraling here. Yeah. Everyone is making bad choices, and now this man, this father is dead, leaving. And he's spiraling. He's triggered. You know, and I'll fight you all if I have to. That's yeah. completely unreasonable. Uh, the mission has been tainted. What? You know, and then you know. So as you, it's it's an absolute spiral in the madness here. It's a spiral into madness, but in his mind, he's justified. Like any good story like this, I think you should always be able to see both sides. Oh, 100%. It's why the Civil War book for me was always so much better than the Civil War movie. Yeah. Because the Civil War movie was called Captain America Civil War. So you were straight Captain America's side. He's the protagonist of his own movie. But you'll agree that by those last few panels, he sounds like a nut. He sounds like a nut, but he's also standing over a dead body. He's standing over a a single father. There's now an orphan. Yeah. So there is justification for it. If his reaction is extreme, but also the Batman of Zorana, yeah, is obviously a bad influence there. Uh, very much because that's yeah, that's an that's even his, more black and white yeah, version yeah, that's of Batman. His, his psychological yeah. Uh, yeah, backup, abs, essential yeah, backup. So, but yeah. yeah, this kicked off, and then of course it's been going across um, two issues of Batman, two issues of Catwoman. Yeah. There's a Red Hood tie-in as well. I've been really digging it. Um, I've been really enjoying it. Um, yeah. It also shows the Batman, because he trained all his minions, mm-hmm. is the best fighter of them all, which is great. Too. Um, well, I don't know. You know, <laughs> again. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I love I loved the impact on the Bat family. They were all in there. You know, the choices that they made. Yeah, even the um, fact that Damien is on, you know, Batman's side. You know, that's his father. He doesn't condone crime. But even then... Damien starts to loosen because he can see his father's yeah. being lost in the yeah. madness. Yeah, you know, it's uh, stuff 100%. Like that. Yeah, so I thought it was, thought it was very, very good. The art, meh. I was. I like Mike Hawthorne's art on that. I do. That's the epitome of clean lines. No, it's not. It's oh, very, it's... very thick lines. The 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 outlines, all the outlines are very, very thick. Although the 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 black lines are, you know, the 
So you just want those a little thinner, do you? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not to me. That's not clean. Um, it's there. It's, so if you're listening, Stuart, this is the the different degrees of clean line. <laughs> yeah, it's chunky. It's it's a wee bit too chunky. Um, uh, so yeah, not not the best. Well, I mean, you you move in the different artists throughout the yeah. other issues because it's uh, Jorge Jimenez doing the art oh, yeah, on the Batman issues, yeah. uh-huh. for example. But uh, but yeah, no, I just thought it was a really good start. I thought it made loads of excellent points. It was forcing you to look at both perspectives. Um, yeah, I thought it was a great start to an event, and I don't really know what people's problem with it is. No, is there a problem? There seems to be. There's 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 a lot. I mean, let's be honest. People only ever talk about things online when they don't like them, and there was just a lot of people giving a bit of hatred towards it, you know. But uh, uh, what about in store? In store, no one's dropped off it. So okay, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Best I can say. Cool. So, well, that is me finished for the month of August. Or is it because I may have just read your final pick? Oh, well, I'm sure you, I'm sure you have. Um, my final pick, I mean, in, I mean, any time this pair are releasing something, you know, in a given month, it's going to be a pick. And that pair are Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips, uh, to, who to me are now uh, one of the finest pairing in, in comics. And, Agreed. You know, I mean... I think Ed Brubaker and, and uh, Jacob's father, Sean, are there as the finest pair in, in comics, but these pair are nipping pretenders at Pretenders to the throne. No, I wouldn't say pretenders. Not pretenders. No, uh, pretenders. No. I just mean next in line for the throne. Yeah, they are. Pretenders they are, they are backing up. Uh, they're backing up what they do with quality. So let, the, the, the book is The Enfield Gang Massacre number 1, and it is set in the world of that Texas blood, but 150 years later. Um, earlier earlier sorry yes absolutely <laughs> you right it would be a very different book it would be a very different book yeah 100% so. if you use that Chris and Jacob because you listen to this we want full credit <laughs> for your space set uh, that Texas blood tale <laughs> uh, it can't be space set it has to be in Ambrose County or Ambrose Space Station <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean so I mean that that Texas Blood is a is a neo western yeah. and what this is is very much western. A, a, a western and we know that Ambrose County is infused with a darkness, uh, and kind of maybe what I hope to get from this is an understanding of where that darkness comes from. Yeah, uh, and certainly a massacre could be the could be the basis of that. So, um, so yeah, we're back in Andrew Ambrose County, and uh, I guess this is maybe kind of an origin story. But let's I mean let's start with the design of the book. Uh, I mean it is printed on classic newsprint. I mean, even before uh, you get yeah, into that, like no, now knowing that there's issues two and three out, so it's a connecting, yeah, painted uh, connecting cover, yeah, beautiful for all the cover A's, yeah. So you turn the page, and then you've got old adverts for guns, yeah. And, you know, like the kind of thing you would send off an old comic. Send us three dollars ninety nine, and we'll send you a gun. And then, as you say, you move on to that paper choice, yeah, which is absolutely, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, the, the style of it, you know, the colors. On that paper, just it looks like again like a classic, uh, like um, a classic dime book. Yeah, know, a classic the western. Old pulp yeah, books. The old pulp books. Uh, those covers are those covers are phenomenal. Uh, so they are the the it's so lovely. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it connect. That's Jacob Phillips on the covers as yeah. well, is it? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, that mean character looks a wee bit like his daddy, you know. But uh, yeah, so uh, so yeah, that it looks good. So. I mean, it opens, it opens uh, in Ambrose County, uh, you know, uh, in, I think it's, it's Fort Lehane, Texas, uh, 1875, which is Ambrose County, and uh, 
we've got the uh, we've got the town uh, in 1906 um, displaying the dead bodies of the Enfield gang at a white one of those white west shows yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm really into this let us spin you a yarn of yes, how they got here quite exactly I'm, I'm reading I'm, I'm re-watching Deadwood at the minute so mm-hmm. I'm all in uh, you know here we've got we've got the the Enfield gang or Montgomery Enfield the leader of the Enfield gang uh, robbing the bank in 1875 but it's very I mean it's kind of it's not very amiable it's very amiable he does it regularly uh, the, the the guy Bailey Bill um, Bill Barney as yeah. uh, you know he kind of offers him a job for security you know that sort of thing and they and they ride off uh, they ride off into the distance you know shooting their guns in the air and uh, and nobody dies and uh, and that's fine and but uh, we're we're put up against uh, the we're, we're introduced to uh, what do you what do you call him uh, the uh, uh, hold on the name has the name has, has escaped me uh, Captain Eli. Eli, yeah. So he's a former Texas Ranger. Uh, seems a bit of a bastard. Um, but the, we're at a town meeting, and the town are talking about trying to stop the Enfield gang. And then it becomes clear uh, that someone uh, there's been murder at the bank, and Bill Barley is dead. Uh, and of course, the obvious, the obvious murderers are the uh, suspects. The obvious suspects, yeah, are the the Enfield gang. You know, who are back at their who are back at their uh, their 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 headquarters, their hideout. Uh, celebrating their money, we see Enfield has a wee bit of, a wee bit of to and fro with his his good lady, his good lady wife or his, his girlfriend or whatever. You know, he's he's a wee bit separate from the gang. He's, I think he's he's kind of past it a wee bit. He's he's maybe fed up with it. He's maybe yeah. thinking about retirement and getting out of there. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, um, Eli sort of sort of frames um. Jumps to the conclusion yeah, jumps, very quickly. It's jumps clearly the Enfield gang. It's, it's, I, I get the feeling that he there's, wants. There's a vendetta here. There's a vendetta. That's exactly yeah. it. Which is uh, makes for a great western. Yeah. And uh, there's a character here, a guy who plays the sheriff, uh, Hardesty. Mm-hmm. And it makes I, I kind of wonder is he related to the an ancestor of our Jubob? Yeah. Uh, because he he has that he has that look. He has the slightly different coloured moustache. You know, there's definitely a. Does he say well at any point? Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of. It didn't strike me until issue three, but, you know, obviously there's. You know the the, the death of, of Bill Barley is 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 absolutely as brutal, brutal as it comes. Yeah, absolutely brutal. So I can see how that mobilizes mobilizes these men. There's there's a bit of a uh, an antagonistic relationship between the Texas Ranger Eli Eli and uh, Hardesty, and also this man John Mulberry, who seems like a, a first citizen of the town, as it were, but uh, will eventually take over from the from the sheriff and. Uh, and I guess it. Uh, I guess the issue finishes with, uh, with a standoff as the in a bar. Of in course. a bar, the Texas Ranger uh, calls out Montgomery Enfield, and the and the second issue is just just nasty, you know. But uh, but it also introduces um, a series of articles in the Texas Record from nineteen ninety six. It's kind of similar with what Chris Chris uh, Chris Condon does with that Texas Blood, you mm-hmm. know, the back material he does, and yeah. and what it is is a an exploration. You know what? Two hundred years later, um, of that day of justice in Ambrose County, and whether or not that was mob justice, whether or not the Enfield gang were, were were responsible for what happened, whether or not they were treated unfairly, it's good, you know. So it's really it's really interesting stuff. And again, we've got uh, like more or less a personal letter from from Chris Condon about what's what's going on here and, and what he wants to do. So, 
Um, and I, one thing I actually haven't done yet, but I've just noticed is listen to the Enfield soundtrack through this oh, QR yeah. code. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Same way as he does with that Texas. Blood. Yeah, I remember that Texas blood. Then I just yeah. I hadn't noticed it in that, but yeah, even like the design of the back pages. You know, you've got your wanted posters. You've got every. There's nothing in this book that doesn't need to be there. No, a hundred percent. You know, same attention to detail, uh, with, with characters and character development. Yeah. Uh, Jacob gives the same attention to detail that he does with you know that Texas blood to the to the art to the backgrounds it's just it's just beautiful it fits so beautifully into that Texas blood's world yeah. uh, but it's different and the you know the, the feel of the pages you know is, is a highlight of that difference yeah. you know so yeah this is what six issues six I think. issues um, and then apparently they're taking a wee break and then they're going back to that Texas blood uh, but yeah I mean there's uh, there's I, I sort of got the feel I've seen it and you've seen other people write it but you know, I sort of got the feel of a Coen Brothers movie here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both in both visually and and in, in, in feeling. You know, so so yeah, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Coloring is Pip Martin, uh, and that adds an awful lot to to that. You know, so so yeah, just uh, just love it from start to finish. The you know the fake newspaper article, the 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 way it's printed, the the cover, the Lincoln covers, everything, everything about this. This is this is uh, top quality top quality work you know and uh, and it's also a western book in 2023 which you don't see many of exactly so um yeah new chapter in ambrose county an origin story hopefully uh, it's six issues so it's going to be maybe a slightly longer narrative than some of the the, the arcs of yeah. uh, texas blood um so yeah 100 percent. um if you're not getting uh whatever these guys are putting out then you're doing something wrong yeah they just released a second printing for number one as well for people to jump into i was actually in the store today, I popped down to the drops and stuff into Chris, and I saw someone pick up number one and number two off the racks, and you know they had a quick flick, and they were like, "Yep, put me out down for the rest of it." So, yeah, this is this is not a creative team that disappoints, yeah. uh, and they seem to just be getting better as they hit more and more of their stride as well. So yeah, that's you know it's there's a there's a we know that this story is going to come to a brutal end for the Enfield gang, both from the the name and the yeah and the uh, the traveling show yeah the traveling show and. It's a, it's a, it's a story about uh, frontier justice whether or not that we know it's the wrong thing we know that they're not responsible yeah but you know so but it's, they're also not innocent yeah, people exactly so it's uh, yeah I mean it kind of links to Gotham War in that respect you know mm-hmm. where where Catwoman is doing crime but it's innocent crime it's, yeah. it's, it's victimless crime in a way you know um it's not crime without reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they rob that bank. They leave. They don't kill anybody. They don't harm anybody. Bill Barty's left standing, you know. Yeah. And they have, They take the money and they'll be back next month to do the same. <laughs> you know, and they have a bit of a joke on the way out. We'll be back for our next you know, withdrawal. So, so it's that kind of clean crime as opposed to this. Yeah. Uh, this murder, you know, which clearly, yeah. you know. So Shows the different degrees of crime. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah. Nice. So that Texas Blood number one finishes off no, the month of the Enfield Gang Massacre. The that Texas Blood spinoff. Uh, <laughs> well held, sir. Well the held. Enfield Gang Massacre uh, <laughs> rounds off the month of August, and a fine choice to round it off on it is. I should mention as well, just with us talking about that, I was able to get that Texas Blood back in stock. It's been out of uh, print for a little while. The graphic novels. And uh, again, the first volume is that $10 price point, that £9 price point. Do yourself a favour, just in case this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, because 
we talk about nearly every single issue of that Texas Blood, but yeah, the the trades have hit and they're glorious. Like some of the best comics being put out today, and again, it's just great to have it back in back in store. So check that out as well. So, but yeah, that's gonna do it for the month of August as we took you through five percent of our pull lists. Yeah. <laughs> in the space of an hour and a half. Uh, but yeah, tons of great quality there. Loads of number one, loads of starting points. And again, as ever, you know, if you're coming late to these things and, you know, some of these you like the sound of, just pop in the store. We'll always get you sorted or advise you the best way to get your hands on these stories, whether it's waiting for trades or getting those single issues in your hands. So uh, a pleasure as always chatting with you. It always puts me in the mood to read more comics. Yes, an absolute pleasure. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll look forward to uh, going through September with you. Which we will do very, very soon. But guys, we hungry. We're going to get some food. So until next time, guys, hope you enjoyed this and uh, check. make sure to check out the next pod as well, September releases. So thanks again. See you in store. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.